Can I sleep in your brain tonight, stranger? A Sandman Podfic, written by AQS8 and read by Literarian. Chapter 7 I need some place else to go. Summary Unbeknownst to Dream, Hope is right. Dream can't just traipse off without acknowledging anything that's happened to him. Hop runs his mouth when he is nervous. He's laid his phone down on the table across from Dream's book of poetry, and now he's scrambling eggs on the stove and talking about carrier pigeons for some reason. Dream knows he is trying to cover up the awkwardness of their morning encounter. Hop had entered the kitchen, bare legs fuzzy and bathrobe undone, and had been speaking into the phone. He was rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. We had a fight the last time we spoke, Hop had been saying before he caught sight of Dream. Dream remembers their conversation well. Hop had accused Dream of loneliness. The supposition had offended Dream at the time, but he understands it now. The emptiness of the glass had rather beaten the acknowledgement into him. Hop's words had been the truth, and Dream had not wanted to hear it, especially from one who he thought did not know him. I just feel so bad for them. I mean, for the longest time we bred the little dudes and used them, and then we abandoned them, and now they grow fat and old in the city, Hop is saying. Hop, Dream interrupts him. Yes? Hop turns around, a mug in his hand that he sets on the table in front of Dream. We are friends, Dream admits. Hop cannot know how much of Dream has been battered away for him to admit that, but it is true and Dream owes it to Hop to reassure him of their standing. Hop smiles gently at him. I'm glad. I want to be your friend, Dream. Why else would you do any of this for me? Dream muses. Hop shies back, a seemingly inadvertent gesture, and his lips part to speak, but no words come forth. Hop turns back to the stove and doesn't answer. There's colour high on his cheeks. He serves Dream toasted bread and eggs just on the side of two done, which Dream finds himself capable of eating. It appeared that this body had not required much sustenance, and Dream has put aside the humiliation of the previous day to prepare to return to his realm. Dream has much to accomplish. He must find his tools. One night of adjusting to the familiar call of a billion sleepers' dreams had been enough. Dream sips his tea and occasionally adds a comment to Hop's rambling.
You'll be returning, won't you? Hop is asking him suddenly. The question is tacked on to the end of an unrelated topic, and Dream wonders if Hop did that on purpose. Hop asks the question already braced for Dream's answer, as if expecting the worst. Yes, Dream says. No need to string him along. Will you stay here today? Hop asks. His brown eyes are pleading, but his face betrays nothing. It amuses Dream suddenly. Hop's so good at controlling everything except his eyes. I will leave tonight, Dream tells him, content to steal another few hours away in Hop's company. Hop brightens at the news, all the lines of his face harmonizing to make him appear almost angelic. As Hop cleans up the dishes and putters around the kitchen, Dream watches him with an entertained eye, mainly to distract himself from the thoughts threatening to spill over him. Dream is still weak in his powers. He will enter his realm through Hobbs' dreams, as he had been too exhausted last night, and then the monumental task of restoring himself to former glory will be entirely his own. It had taken Dream more than a few hours in the night to finally grow used to the texture of the world around him. He is better now. But each page in the book of poems is a symphony to his fingers, and that speaks naught of the words contained within. A book of poems about dreaming. You always like them, Hop remarks, taking his seat again. He's got his laptop open on the table. He's grading quiz results for his students, he's told Dream. Liked what? Dream runs his fingers over the spine of the book. There's a crease down the centre, raised like a vein in among the smooth of the pulp. Artists, poets, Hop says. Playwrights, he adds. I am always interested in the dreams of men, Dream says honestly. Well, Shakespeare turned out to write a fair bit, didn't he? And I'm loath to admit the man had talent. Whatever did you do with him? The white rectangle of Hop's screen reflects in his eyes as he looks over at Dream. I had him commission a play and inspired him, Dream admits, bringing the now cold mug of tea to his lips. Hop's eyes narrow at him, but he doesn't ask anything more. They spend the whole lazy day like that, eventually graduating to the couch in the living room. Hop, true to his word, does not ask Dream anything personal. Dream eats whatever Hop feeds him, and as the sun sets in the sky, Dream itches to leave. 
He waits patiently, returning to his room and the checkered rainbow of the quilt. Eventually, Hob goes to bed, and with Dream's presence in the house, falls asleep almost immediately. It is easy to enter Hob's dream. The man is dressed in formless clothing, and he spins when Dream appears in front of him. Of course, I'd fucking dream of you too, Hob says, and Dream realizes in this instant the man has not made any connections and does not know it is Dream of the Endless himself who stands before him. Dream leaves Hob's dream in an unfurling of wings and black smoke. Dream stands before the gates to his realm and stares up, horrified, at the wreckage of his castle. The grounds are silent. Where are his people? Where are the denizens of the dreaming? The side door creaks open and a familiar face trots down the steps to him. My lord, you have returned, Lucienne cries. Dream wants to cry upon seeing her face. I have, Dream says with a smile. He is returned, a shadow of himself, to a shade of a place. The singular flame of Lucienne's remaining loyalty is not enough to push back the darkness lingering over the dreaming. Dream has been absent for too long. Far too few remain in the dreaming, either scared or vanished or escaped into the waking world. Dream can feel the death of them in his bones. Tell me all that has occurred in my absence, Dream orders her, and she complies. Lucienne lays down the events in an ordered list. In the back of his mind, Dream reorders them in magnitude according to their scope and attainability. Before he begins any of them, he will need his tools. And to find his tools, he needs to walk in dreams. Dream retrieves his tools. He returns to the waking world and takes back his sand. Lucienne sticks with him a new raven, despite his urgings. Dream stumbles through hell and speaks of hope, of dreams and of himself. He wins back his helm. His ruby is mangled beyond recognition, and so it is broken, and all the raw anguish and power he had trapped inside of it returns to him. Dream barely manages to overcome it. The dreaming returns to vitality, and a child is born in it. Dream avoids the destruction of this world. He works and he works and he is unending in his duties, blindly devoted to his role, until one day he sits on the steps of his throne and his mind is completely empty. There is nothing left to accomplish. 
an empty mind wishes to fill itself, and Dream's mind decides to think about the glass cage. There is no retribution to be held. That is the worst of it. The Burgess household had already passed over, and the order of ancient mysteries long dissolved, and there is no respite. Dream hates that even now his imprisonment slides its cold fingers around his neck and threatens to choke him. Dream forces himself into the nightmare realms, into small spaces and inky blackness of night. Each encounter leaves him fleeing for the rolling hills of Fiddler's Green, where he can exhale. His realm and his power is restored, so why does the absence of his imprisonment linger so? Matthew is a welcome respite, and his incessant chattering fills part of the void in Dream's mind. Still, sometimes Dream looks at his raven and is reminded of Jessamy, and his heart aches. There's an itch inside of Dream's head, and even when he heads into the shore to attempt to fabricate new denizens for his realm, the buzzing in the back of his head won't let up. Lucienne finds Dream sitting cross-legged on the beach, letting sand settle in the folds of his coat and the strands of his hair. My lord? Lucienne's face is concerned, and she crouches in front of him. It breaks Dream out of his musing. Is there something I need to pay attention to? Dream hopes, as he has not done in a long while. No, sir, it's just... Lucienne glances back over Dream's shoulder towards the gates. You are not in a good mood. What gave it away? Dream asks and cranes his neck over his shoulder. Dark storm clouds gather over where the palace would be. Ah. Lucienne does not say anything. Dream knows why they are there. It is his mind. His imprisonment weighs on him. I will return, Dream says, and travels into his throne room. He calls Matthew to him and asks him to tell a story. Matthew tells him about a raucous college party and an ex-girlfriend who broke her ankle tripping down some steps and Matthew's own stupid drunken actions. There is a thread of heroism in the story, and Matthew's tone as he recounts picking her up and carrying her out to the ambulance. It clears Dream's mind, and by the time Matthew has derailed his topic twice, there are no more clouds threatening the palace. Lucienne looks upon her lord fondly, and Dream feels all is right. He is fine. Dream believes this statement up until one of his creations becomes lost. She is a child, a dream made for mothers and sisters, bright and joyful. 
The smile she was born with is not present on her face. Her small visage is streaked with tears. Lucienne had brought her to the throne room and the little dream is ushered forward. Dream immediately scoots down to be at eye level with her. Not Morpheus, the dream, serendipity, sniffles at him. Hello, little one. Lucien tells me you have just returned, Dream says kindly. I can't find her, Serendipity cries, and Dream knows who she means. Her Dream Mother is one of the Dreams who was too fragile and did not survive his absence. I will give you a new mother. Dream offers, but Serendipity shakes her head violently, causing her flaxen hair to scatter around her face. I don't want a new one. I want my mum, Serendipity says in a bereft tone. Dream cannot replicate his creations. He can unmake them and revive them, but once they are dust, Dust they remain. He is lost as to what to tell her. Let us go out, Dream tells her, and she follows a half-step behind him as he takes her from the throne room into the lush green hills. I understand I have been missing for a long time, Dream begins. It was not my intent to keep away. I understand that, Serendipity says petulantly. Then you understand also that not every one of mine went to the waking world as you did. Some stayed, Dream says. Mum stayed. I tried to make her come with me, but she said she was going to wait for Papa. She's always waiting for him. Serendipity pouts. She wouldn't be waiting any longer, Dream thinks to himself. They crest the top of the hill, and Dream turns so he can overlook the castle town. Serendipity plops down at his feet and begins angrily tearing out grass with her hands. I cannot remake her as she was for you, Dream tells her. Serendipity's wet eyes glare up at him. Aren't you the king? Even I have limits to my abilities, Dream says. So what good are you if you can't make her again? Serendipity's careless remark sets him on edge. Dream grits his teeth. I cannot give you what you want, Serendipity. You will have to make peace with that. I can make you a new mother or allow you to grow older but I cannot remake she who waits, Dream says. Serendipity rips out some grass and throws it over his boots. 
Dream weathers her burst of anger. She sits there and pouts for a few minutes more. Dream waits. Her mood is mercurial and inclined towards happiness. She cannot stay mad forever. She will make her decision. I would like a new mum, Serendipity decides. Then I will create her just for you. Dream smiles down at her. Serendipity's tears are drying, forgotten on her cheeks, and she stands up on wobbly legs. Thank you, Lord Morpheus, she says, and wraps her arms around his legs. Dream is not prepared. He is not expecting her to touch him, and the gesture of thanks is perverted by his new aversion to unwelcome touch. He freezes. Even through his clothes, her touch is presumptuous and a reminder of all the things Dream tries not to think about, and it takes no effort for him at all to reach down and yank her arms off him. Dream doesn't catch her cry of alarm, and he is bearing down on her before she knows her transgression. Do not touch me, Dream shouts at her. Above them, dark clouds swirl and thunder, casting a shadow across the top of the hill. The wind causes the tails of Dream's coat to flap behind him, and above them both, the eye of the storm is nearing Dream's head like a crown. You have already insinuated my uselessness and tried my patience besides, Dream spits. You know full well what happened to she who waits, and you could have found a new mother easily and instead came here to insult me. Dream inhales and ignore my craft. Serendipity cowers from him, fear plain in her eyes. Her small form curls into a ball, and her head is tucked into her arm. She looks so small and powerless, and Dream recognizes it. All of Dream's anger abandons him in a heartbeat. Why? Dream says, his heart sinking in his chest. I... Serendipity runs away from him, down the hill, even as the clouds part for the sun to shine through. Dream breathes hard. He can't chase after her. What has he done? Never has he exploded at one of his subjects in such a rage, especially for one so undeserving of his ire. Dream buries his face in his hands. If only he could remove that memory and everything would be the same as before. Except it won't, a voice whispered in the back of his mind. 
You'll never be the same, and the kingdom will never let you forget. Grim watches the form of serendipity run away. He'd send Matthew after her, and he'd have to apologize. What is wrong with me? Dream murmurs to himself. He returns to his throne room, and Lucienne is waiting for him. Judging by the furrow of her brow and the unhappy slant of her glasses, she already has choice words picked out for him. I will apologize, Lucienne. It is my fault. Dream spares himself the lecture. He crosses the room and collapses onto the stairs leading to his throne. He glares up at the symbol of his power and barely conceals his rage. My lord, Lucienne begins, but Dream waves a sharp hand at her. Go away, Dream tells her. She does not. Curse her. Dream can feel his eyes tearing up. Why is this happening? He's never been so unstable. He had been so weak, and now he was no longer weak, so this should not bother him. The collar of his coat expands, the threads of it weaving forward until it creates a hood to hide his tears. Serendipity's words had held some truth after all. What good was he? Dream can feel the weight of Lucienne's gaze resting on him. Did I not send you away, Lucienne? Dream asks, controlling his wet voice. My lord, Lucienne breaks and sighs. You're scaring the residents. They can tell you've gone through something and they are worried about you. You've not even told me what happens to you. But you cannot go frightening dreams, especially ones who have been hurt. I know that, Dream cries from under his hood. He can hear what Lucienne has not brought herself to say. That he is unstable and unfit. He slumps against the steps. Is there no one you might be able to lay your burden on, sir? Your sister? Lucienne asks. There are none Dream could speak to like that. None he would want, without explanation he is unwilling to give. Especially not death, who had been meant for the sphere. Well, there is someone who has already seen him at his lowest, but Dream could not, dares not, impose upon her. I do not think I could bother him, Dream says. I do not think he would mind, Lucienne says. Dream flicks back his hood and stares at her. How did she know such things? Lucienne's face, unlike Hobbes, is not good for playing poker. 
Have you been reading his books? Dream asks her. I have, Lucienne admits, almost smugly. Dream has never once desired to read the volumes of Hobbes' life. Out of his word, he would not interfere with Hobbes' life, but now he grows irrationally jealous. Lucienne has. You think so? Dream asks. I believe so, my lord, Lucienne says. Lucienne is his librarian. She stayed when all others left. She is loyal and trustworthy. If she says she believes something, it is likely true. Dream cannot believe he is considering it.